you would, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. John chapter 12. I'm going to pick up reading in verse 20. By way of reminder, we are in the last week of Jesus' life leading up to the Passover, this feast, this religious feast uh, of the Jews um, that is the, the, the focal point for Jesus' sacrifice. Uh, just last week we see Jesus on a Sunday come into Jerusalem and the crowds are hailing him. Uh, they're excited. They're whipped into a frenzy and he's riding on a donkey trying to tell them what kind of king he is and they're crying out, save us, and they're calling him king. Uh, and they are not, the crowds are not the only ones who are whipped up by Jesus' entry. The Pharisees, Jesus' enemies, are also stirred up, uh, but they're not happy with what they see. In fact, they're very disturbed by what they see. In fact, if you read verse 19, they're looking at one another saying, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look. The world has gone after him. Of course, they mean the world. They, they're, they're talking about everybody around us, the Jews here in Jerusalem. Everybody's following Jesus, it seems. But there's irony in what they're saying, uh, as we're going to see in verse 20, because, in fact, the world is about to go after Jesus. Let's go pick up in verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. These are not Jews. They're Gentiles. So the world is, in fact, coming to Jesus. Among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me... He must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ, the Messiah, remains forever. 
How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word. God, that you would open our eyes, that we would behold the light, that we would see Jesus, that we would see Jesus as he presents himself, not simply as we want him to be. And Lord, that we would be transformed, that we would long to follow Jesus and be honored by you. And so, Lord, bless the sermon, bless our time in your word, that we may be forever changed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is popular. Uh, the crowds in Jerusalem are, are crazy about him. Um, they're, as we said, as we saw last week, they're whipped into a frenzy. They're excited that Jesus is there. Everybody wants to see Jesus. And not only that, but there are some Greeks um, these would have been not, not just Greek-speaking Jews, but actual Gentiles, right? The, the word in Judaism is God-fearers. People who are interested in the worship of Jerusalem are interested in some of the things in Judaism, but not quite full converts. They wouldn't have accepted circumcision or some of the other things that would have made them converts to Judaism. They just, uh, they like to come for feasts like these. Uh, we used the football analogy last week, and so we'll use it again this week. These would not be, uh, these would not be rabid Bama fans, right? They, uh, they don't sport houndstooth, um, anything. They don't, uh, they, don't, they don't wear the script A like three days a week, right? They just enjoy good football, and so they're coming to the game to watch a good football game, right? That's what a God-fearer was. They weren't fully identified with, uh, with the Jews, they were kind of on the outside. In fact, there was a wall that separated them from really getting into the temple. They kind of had to stay on the outside. Um, uh, early first century Judaism kept Gentiles uh, away unless they were going to be full converts. And so uh, Jesus is popular. But popularity isn't what Jesus is going for. In fact, the approach of the Greeks maybe makes the disciples think, man, all right, this is, going, this is spreading further. This is getting bigger than we thought it was going to be. Jesus is really going to be great. Um, maybe, maybe that's what the approach of the Greeks meant for the disciples. But what it signals for Jesus, what it tells Jesus is that his time has come, that his hour uh, is here this hour that has been steadily approaching since he was born in a barn 30 years ago. And what the hour tells us, what it tells Jesus, and what it tells you and what it tells me is that really death is the way to life. 
that in order, to, in order to be glorified, Jesus must go through the cross. And not only for Jesus, but also for those who want to follow Jesus. Death, as morbid as it may sound, death is the way to true life. So let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, life really begins at death. These Greeks come to see Jesus. Uh, they approach Philip. Philip is from a, a, a more gr- Greekanized uh, part of, uh, of Israel, from Judea. And so uh, he lives up in the north in Samaria. Um, and so uh, they probably approach him because he would have understood their culture, understood their language. Philip grabs Andrew. They go to get Jesus. Uh, and up until this point, Jesus has, has been saying, my hour is not yet here. Right? He, keeps, he keeps pushing the hour off. He, he will escape from mobs. He'll hide himself from mobs. He'll escape uh, the, the authorities who want to arrest him and kill him. And all the while, the explanation is because the hour isn't here. But now, now that these non-Jews are looking for Jesus, they want to meet with Jesus, Jesus that, that triggers in Jesus' mind that the time is now. The hour is here. The hour for what? He says, the hour for the Son of Man, that's Jesus' title for himself, the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. Glory is a good thing, right? Being exalted, being worshipped, being revered, that's good. To be glorified, right, is good. To be perfect, for Jesus to really be seen as he truly is. Uh, That moment uh, would be included in glorification. But the path to that glory is not a pleasant path. One. See, in John's gospel, the hour of Jesus' glory, Jesus' glorification, also includes crucifixion. It includes death. It includes being buried. And it includes being raised from the dead. That's it, clear from what Jesus says next in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is saying, in order for me to experience what I had before I became a man, in order for me to enter back into my glory, I have to die. Right? I'm not here to enjoy the popularity of the masses. I'm not here to get a huge public following. I'm here to give my life away. I'm here to die. That's the only way I can go back. That's the only way I can go up, the way I can get into glory. And you understand, right? We understand the illustration. We understand. I have a very basic understanding of agriculture. But I understand, right, that in order to grow something, you have to plant something. It just doesn't happen on its own, right? Jesus says if a, if a grain of wheat, if a kernel of wheat remains just kind of hanging out on the stalk, it does nothing. It remains alone. It doesn't fulfill its purpose. In order for that seed to bear fruit, it has to fall into the ground, right? It has to fall into the earth, and in a sense, in Jesus' word, it has to die. Uh, we just planted a garden at the house and as we were tilling up the, the soil and getting it ready, um, we have a pecan tree uh, in our backyard, and uh, some adventurous squirrel had buried a pecan up next to the wall where we were planting the garden. And so 
Uh, I just pull on what, you know, what looks like a weed to me, uh, and when I pull it out, at the bottom of this weed is a, is a pecan, is, or at least the shell of what used to be a pecan, right? A pecan tree was starting to grow out from the house, and so I showed the boys, and we oohed and odd, and, and then I threw it in the pile. Um, <laughs> but, right, that, in order for that to happen, in order for a pecan tree to grow, a single solitary pecan has to lose its life. In a sense that there's no, there was no pecan really in that shell anymore. It was just the shell, uh, and what was growing out of it was a tree. And that tree, of course, was going to produce hundreds, thousands, and over, who knows how long its lifespan, millions maybe, of other pecan nuts just like it. Uh, so in order for that nut to fulfill its purpose... It actually had to fall into the earth and die. It had to lose its life. That's what Jesus is saying, and that's what Jesus is saying he has to do. Uh, In order to bear fruit, he has to die. And he's not the only one. Look at verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. What Jesus is saying is, like master, like servant. If the way for Jesus' life to bear fruit is that he has to die, well, can you expect that it will be any different for us? Uh, he says, whoever loves his life loses it. What does it mean to love your life? Well, I mean, that sounds something like that, that sounds like something that would be good, right? I, I ought to love the life I have. I mean... Well, uh, you know, pop psychology tells me that most of my problems can be resolved just by a happier, chippier outlook. You know, so if I would just love my life a little bit more, everything would be all, all gravy. That's not really what Jesus is. That's not really what Jesus is talking about. What he's saying is, if anyone loves his life, uh, wants to keep it as it is, um, loves loves the things of this world more than God Himself, then you will lose your life. Uh, to love your life in this sense means to live with a closed hand. That you're always, you're always grasping at whatever it is. Maybe it's your wealth or maybe it's your children or uh, any other good gift. Grasping and clinging on to them in the hopes that you'll just keep it. And that this is it. This is what life is meant to be. Um, preserving your comfort. Loving your hobbies. All of this more than the Lord. Whatever I can do to be comfortable, to be happy. Uh, One commentator, D.A. Carson, puts it this way, to love one's life is a fundamental denial of God's sovereignty, God's rule, of God's rights, and a brazen elevation of self to the peak of one's perception, an idolatrous focus on self, which is the heart of all sin. And so what Jesus is talking about is really to, to love your life means to worship yourself and to do whatever you can to preserve yourself. Uh, of course, you don't have to be a Christian to know that selfishness will ruin you, that what you try the hardest to preserve will actually slip away, that selfishness will ruin your marriage. That self-worship, self-preservation will always keep other people at bay. 
No one really wants to befriend the person who always talks about themselves and who always uses other people to make themselves happy. So self-preservation will ruin you, your marriage, or it'll alienate friendships because you can't really get close to people unless you're willing to let your guard down, expose yourself. And so the very thing you want, the good life uh, for yourself, Jesus says you end up losing. If anyone loves his life, he loses it. You, you miss the shot every time because you're aiming at the wrong target. Jesus says, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So what does it mean to hate your life? Jesus isn't talking about uh, depression or being sad about the way things are going. That's not what it means to hate your life. What it means to hate your life is that you think more of God... You want to see his kingdom grow. You think more of God than you do of yourself. That uh, you turn your efforts and your resources towards God and to his kingdom rather than self-preservation, rather than preserving your own little kingdom. Rather than, want, rather than remaining alone on the stalk, you want to fall into the earth and die. You want to bear fruit. That's what it means to hate your life. To live with an open hand. Not a, not a closed hand, but an open hand. And what's the result? Whoever hates his life will keep it forever. That if you give your life away, just like the grain that falls into the ground, just like Jesus, if you give your life away, you will actually receive back life in abundance. Life forever. If you look at the blessings and trappings of this world and say, no, I want, I want what's in front rather than what I have now. I want Jesus more than this. Jesus says, well, then you'll have it. You'll have life forever with him. So to hate your life in this world, to give it away for Jesus' sake, really means that you will have life with Jesus for eternity. But there's the issue. Right? Self-love, self-preservation comes so naturally. Self-preservation is, all, is, is really automatic. That my first go-to is to preserve my life, to love my life. How do I overcome that? What, what kind of love replaces self-love? How do I end up worshiping at the right altar? And one way is to look at the rewards to realize that the only way I'll die to this life is to see that the rewards of the next are so much better. It really is, in some sense, it's a merit system. Uh, it's, an, it's, it's almost like an investment. That's how Jesus talks about it in Matthew 5. That if all I aim to do is invest in the here and now, if I spend my every waking moment for this right now, if I spend all my money on things that will deteriorate and pass away, then I will lose it all. But if I invest in what is future, if I look past this life into what is future, into what Jesus has, then I will learn to give away my stuff, my money, my time, my talents. 
In fact, to not give ourselves away is really self-worship. It's unbelief. Think about it. The, the reason I waste money on this life rather than give it away for kingdom purposes is because I don't believe God is all that good. And that if I don't spend this money on this right now, that I'm not going to have what I need to have. And so I'm more interested in, uh, I'm more interested in my stuff than I am into seeing what God is doing. Or I'm fearful and I'm anxious about not having enough. Either way, it's because I don't functionally believe in the goodness and the greatness of the life to come. We're more interested in keeping up with the Joneses than in seeing the Joneses come to know Jesus. And so what, what turns our eyes is by looking not to this life, but looking to the life to come. And it's more than just self-denial, right? It's more than just saying, all right, I'm going to cut my emotions off. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to be a stoic, and I'm not going to think or feel anything. It's just self-denial. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, no, uh, see that the reward of the Father, being honored by the Father, is so much better than accruing treasures on this life. It's the pursuit of a better treasure over a lesser. Do I love the honor that comes from God more than the comforts and riches of this world? So that all sounds good. That all sounds very noble, right? Very altruistic, like, okay, that's right. It's better to give myself away, give my stuff away, than it is to uh, keep it, than it is to hoard it. But it only looks good on paper, right? It only, it, only, it only sounds good. It's much harder to actually live that. And the reason we know that is because it's hard for Jesus. Look at how Jesus handles this. Verse 27. After saying that if anyone serves me, he must follow me where I am. There my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now as he begins to think about it, now as he begins to think about the moment of his death, he says this. Now is my soul troubled, stirred up, agitated, like, like boiling water. That's, the, that's that word, troubled. As Jesus really begins to think about what this is going to cost him, he's bothered. He's bothered by that as he reflects on it. He's not... He's not stoically embracing the cross like some commander in a war movie saying, Come on, boys, let's take the hill. Jesus is not John Wayne. Jesus is not Russell Crowe or Mel Gibson. Jesus is not Captain America. Jesus is troubled by what he is about to go and do. And that is incredibly encouraging. That's why he's better than Captain America. He's better because you and I can actually relate to Jesus and he can relate to us. He looks what he's about, he looks at what he's about to do. He understands, now granted this is where Jesus is much better than any of those heroes I just mentioned, imagined or real, and he's better than us. Jesus looks what he's at what he's about to have to do in bearing the weight of sin. In, in going to the cross, 
to take on the full brunt of God's righteous wrath and anger at our sin. And it rightly and deeply troubles him. You can't look at that and be a stoic. And right there is the comfort. Because Jesus doesn't demand something of you that he doesn't go through himself. Not only is Jesus willing to die, but he is willing to die in the face of anxiety. He's willing to die in the face of pain. He knows that the path to glory is not pleasant for himself and for us. And so we can, he does not face death cavalierly. He's troubled. And so you too can be troubled. What does Jesus do with his troubled soul? He prays. He prays, Father, what what can I say? Save me from this hour? He'll pray something similar in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? Right, Right before he dies, right before he's arrested, Jesus prays three times, Lord, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Lord, I don't want to do this. I know what this is going to cost. I've enjoyed your favor from eternity. And now I'm going to see your wrath. This is going to be painful. Father, if possible, let it pass from me. And yet that prayer ends every time with Jesus saying, Yet not my will, but your will be done. And he does the same here. What shall I say? Father, let this uh, save me from this hour. But this is what I've come to do. See, Jesus isn't afraid to vocalize his feelings to his Father. He's not afraid to carry his feelings in prayer. And he also receives the strength to persevere through prayer. This is the whole reason I've come. I've come for this very hour, for this very reason. Father, glorify your name. And so let's put all that together. Jesus says, Father... I want to shrink from this hour. I want to pull back. I don't want to fall into the earth and die. I want to remain alone. Because that would be more comfortable. That would feel better. But that is not the way you have designed this. That is not the way true life comes. And so, Father, I'm going to press into this. Because I want you to glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. That's why Jesus will fall into the earth and die and bear fruit. Because it brings glory to the Father. Christian, I'm going to ask you to do something somewhat strange. Maybe this sounds almost a little charismatic even. uh, But I want you to take every area of your life. Take Take your bank statements. Your day timer. Maybe you do it over lunch with your kids if they're grown or uh, with your spouse if they're really, really grown. Uh, maybe you wait till the children go to bed. But, but take the areas of your life, and I want, you to, I want you to take a hard look at them, and I want you to say, Father, glorify your name. I want you to look at your bank statement. I want you to look at your business, your work, your home, and I, re- and I want you to pray over it. Father, glorify your name. 
show me, show me what I don't want to die to. Show me what I'm too comfortable in. Because here's the thing. I love my life. I don't want to lose it. I want to hold on to it. I want to live with a closed hand. Because I'm afraid if I open it up just a little bit, that it'll be gone. So I want you to pray, and I want me to pray. I want us to pray that we would look at each area of our lives and that we would ask God to, to begin to pry open those fingers, that we, would, that we would really put that before Him and say, Father, glorify Your name. There is no life if this remains as it is. If it remains alone, there is no fruit. So, Father, glorify Your name. Show me what I need to die to. Show me how to follow Jesus. And uh, some of you are already doing that and are doing it still. But I would encourage each of us to pray that. And so then as we, uh, we, we learn that life begins at death and that really in order to, to embrace that, we have to look beyond the grave. Uh, and then as Jesus finishes praying, there's this invitation to come into the light. As Jesus finishes praying, something strange happens. There's a, there's a voice from heaven. The Father answers him. And the Father answers him audibly. He says, I have glorified it. In your life and in your ministry, I have glorified it. You're doing a good job, son. And then he says, and I will glorify it again in your death and resurrection and ascension. So, you're doing a good job, son. Stay the course. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And here's what's interesting. The people around Jesus, they don't hear the voice. Now, those who are really dull, uh, those, who are, those who are unbelieving probably, who have their ears closed to supernatural things, they just hear thunder. right? That's what they say it is. Gosh, that was weird. He prayed, and then it sounded like a voice from heaven, but it was probably just thunder, right? Uh, or uh, you have some people who said it was the voice of an angel. And so Jesus says, listen, this wasn't for me. Uh, I've been praying with the Father for a long time. He doesn't usually respond like this. This wasn't spoken out loud for me. It was spoken out loud for you. You needed to hear me pray that. And you needed to hear the Father respond so that you know that what I'm saying is true. Because now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. Because when I am lifted up, right? And John, that's a double meaning there. Lifted up could mean exalted, right? Put on the throne. But for Jesus, going to the throne also means being lifted up on the cross. And when I am lifted up, that is when the judgment drops. Judgment, that word in the Greek, chrysis, means a division, a separation. What Jesus is saying is that he is the dividing line of humanity. What you do with the cross of Christ is the judgment. Either you believe into salvation or you disbelieve and you face the wrath of God. But Jesus says, when I am lifted up, God's enemy, Satan, will be cast out. Now, it's going to look like he's a winner. It's going to look like I'm defeated because no Messiah is supposed to die like this. 
right? Nothing could look worse than the death of a, than the bloody, nasty death of a cross, than the shameful, your family doesn't talk about it, death of the cross, right? If, you're, if you had a relative who died on the cross, you would just not acknowledge that it happened. You wouldn't even want to bring it up because it was so shameful, right? And so it couldn't look any worse for Jesus. He would look utterly defeated. But Jesus says, no, no, no. When I am lifted up, that is when I am victorious. Because I will draw all kinds of people to myself. Not just Jews, but Gentiles. In fact, that's the way I have to draw the nations to myself. Is through the cross. And so Jesus is the dividing line of humanity. And they struggle with that. They understand what, they're, what, what he's saying. They say, who is this son of man? What kind of Messiah are you? And Jesus, is, Jesus has already told them. And so his answer is an indirect one. What he says, what he gives them is one more invitation. Really, the last one. He says, the light is among you for a little while longer. I'm only going to be here just a little bit longer. You need to walk in the light while you've got it. The sun is setting. It's about to close. I'm about, night is about to come. And so you need to come to me. You need to walk in the light before darkness overtakes you. Really before darkness overcomes you, masters you. Come to the light. Jesus says, while you have the light, believe in the light. To walk in the light and to trust in the light are the same thing. They correspond to each other. So Jesus is saying, trust me, believe in me, walk in me so that you can be sons and daughters of the light. Let's pray. Lord, it's a daunting thing to tell people to die. It's a daunting thing to die because death is not glorious. It is painful. It means loss. And I don't like to lose. I don't like to lose my strength or my mobility or my youth or my wealth. And yet that is the counterintuitive nature of the kingdom. That the more we lose for Jesus, the more we gain. That really loss is gain. So, Lord, would you help us to open up our closed hands to give ourselves away, to care less about stuff, to hate even our life in this world so that we would keep it for eternity. Of course, the only way we can do that, Lord, is if we come to the light. That if we, to believe in the one who falls into the earth and dies. Oh, Lord, help us to follow after you, to walk in the light as you are in the light, and so be sons and daughters of the light. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.